Uh, can someone confirm if uh, Kayla is back so we can release the chillins or not? Uh, peek back there for me real quick. That was an oversight. She is back there. Okay, chillins, you can be dismissed. Uh, adults, unfortunately, I have some good news and I have some bad news. Uh, the good news is Pastor Jason is not here today, as you probably noticed. Uh, the bad news, however, is you do have to listen to me, so take that uh, as you want it. And I'm trying to stall a little bit, waiting for everything to start working here. This is me stalling just a little bit more because it's still not working. This is me beginning to panic inside a little bit because it's still not working. Uh, but that'll be okay. Chad, are you able just to kind of... Well, well, no, not like control it, but if we got to go here, just go with... Come on. Give your pastor a vacation day, they said. It'll be, it'll be great, they said. You won't have any technical issues at all during service, they said, you know? Anyway, Chad, can you just change it as I go and... Boy, I hope I have my notes somewhere other than there. Hold on. Ah. <laughs> this is going to be a real short service if I don't. Oh, ah, you, you, guys, you guys lucked out I have it here. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us. If you are watching online, um, make sure you say hello. I'm going to kind of prop my phone up here uh, so I can see your comments and all that fun stuff. No, I don't want to update now. You're doing it. Oh, Lena's watching it too, but I want to be able to say hi as well. So, hello, everybody. Hi, Steve. Hi, Linda. Hi, Pastor Chaz. Hi, Miss Tanya. Uh, thank you so much for joining us online. Uh, if you do have any prayer requests, please either send us a message, leave us a comment, um, let us know how we can pray for you. Uh, also, um, if you visit us at www.passioncommunitychurch.com, uh, you can go through an archive of probably some better preaching. Uh, by Pastor Jason, um, you know, as well as all the online giving and tithing and all that fun stuff. Anyway, so as we continue here, uh, a very wise man once told me that every sermon has to start with a title, otherwise you're not going to get anywhere. So the title of today's message is, Who Am I? Who am I? Probably one of the most asked questions of all time. Probably, I don't know. Probably who mixture of who am I and what's for dinner. That's a ever ongoing question that my wife and I ask each other. That nobody ever seems to want to take the uh, responsibility of answering that one, but that's okay. Every great uh, philosopher has tried to answer that question. Every great uh, movie has the same plot somewhere along the line where you know somebody goes through some great quest to find out who they are, what their identity is, what they really are. You know, thinking back to one of my favorite uh, movie trilogies of all time, Star Wars. You know, it, it begins with just this kid on Tatooine. You know, his name is Luke Skywalker. Through a series of unfortunate events and uh, plots and twists, uh, he learns his identity is he is actually the son of Darth Vader. And I'm getting some real bad feedback back here. Do I need to back up? Um, maybe just cut some of the lows. The mid lows out of my voice, that'll probably bring that down a little bit. Um, but he learns that his fate, he is a Jedi just like his father before him, and then the whole world turns upside down when 
Darth Vader goes, no, I am your father, and everybody's shocked. Um, But just like Luke came to realize that his identity, we need to realize our identity too. And I'm going to try to help you guys out a little bit and make it so you don't have to lose an arm for you to realize that Darth Vader is your father. I'm kidding. No, of course Darth Vader's not your father. God is our father, right? Sermon over. Pack it up. Go home. Our identity is a mega theme that is written all throughout the Bible. The simple question of who am I has a simple answer. I am a child of God. Uh, We read lots of books about it. We read, um, there's movies about it. There are songs that we sung about it that go through this identity of ours saying that we are a child of God. But we need to consider for a second what this actually means to be called a child of God. And I take it back, um, you know, I I hear a lot of people talk about how much they love their kids. Uh, I can't really speak from that perspective, but I can speak to it from how much my parents love me. I can go over to their house, barge through the door, unannounced. The German shepherd doesn't eat me. I can march up. I can get in the fridge, take all the food, take all their drinks. I can sit down on the couch, plop my feet up, change the TV channel, and just have a normal conversation with my parents. Parents out there, how many of you guys have ever had your children do that to you? They come in, eat all your food, change your TV channel, put their smelly feet on your couch, and and you love them anyway. You just keep going. But I want you to think about for a second, what if your neighbor did that same thing? Or some random stranger. Can you picture, now I, <laughs> I, I love the neighbors that we have at our house. He's actually one of my really good friends uh, from high school. However, if he were to just unannounced come in, barge through my parents' door, eat all their food, drink all their soda, and plop his feet up on the, the couch and start changing the TV channel, there'd be a little bit of a different conversation that would follow than if I were to do it, right? I'm sure you can all imagine, some of you, you know, may have crazy neighbors, Probably not the, uh, the kind of thing that you want to come home to is your neighbor just chilling in your living room. I know what you're thinking, you know, how does this relate to me being a child of God? And it's, it's very simple. We're able to do the same thing to God. We can just barge on through God's door, crack open his fridge, grab a soda pop, eat all his food, change the channel, and we can sit there and we can just start having a conversation with God the Father. You see, only a child of God can have an intimate relationship with God. But there's another part of the story. You have to be a child of God to have that relationship. And only a priest of God can lead others into that same relationship. This idea of priesthood is another one of those mega themes woven throughout cover to cover of the Bible. And I, I know what everyone's thinking. You're thinking, like, man, he just said priesthood. He's talking about them dudes with, like, the funny collars and the, the white robes. And I got to get one of them, like, shaky, smoky things to be a priest, right? Well, that's not, that's not quite correct. Um, I don't even know where you find one of those funny white collars at. So we, we would all be in trouble when I'm about to drop the next bombshell on you. And that's, we are all priests. I want everybody to repeat this after me. I am a priest. I had about 50% audience participation. Let's shoot for 75% here. Repeat after me. I am a priest. Perfect. 
Now that we understand that, that we're called to be a priest, we're kind of sitting here thinking like, man, I got to go get some robes now. I love being able to wear my pajamas out in public. I'm a priest. I can call it what I want it to be. We're not that kind of priest, however. We are priests in, in a biblical sense, not in a title sense. And to, to really fully understand what that means, we have to go all the way back to the beginning, to the first priest that was ever created. And that was Adam. You see, Adam was created like no other being on the earth up until this point. You know, it, it took God seven days to literally speak everything in existence. God sat there and he said, stars. There were, I can't, there we go, stars, and there were stars. He sat there and said, let there be land. There was land. He said, let there be water, and there was water. He said, let there be swimmy things, and there were swimmy things. And he said, let there be crawly things, and there were crawly things that happened all over the earth. In six, five days, he was able to speak everything we see from the stars to the tiniest of little microorganisms. He was able to speak all that in existence. But when it came to creating man, he decided to do something a little bit different. God comes up and he takes the dirt that's around and he, he starts scooping it up, and he takes the clay, and he starts scooping up, he starts molding it and shaping it, leaving his fingerprints all over Adam when he's creating it. And then he does something even more special. Instead of speaking life into Adam, God breathes life into him. Kind of like when you're doing CPR to somebody. Staying alive, staying alive. You've got to breathe that life back into him. And Adam all of a sudden became a living man. So God forms him from this clay. He builds him up, shaping him. Then he, I should, probably shouldn't do that with Rona going around. I'm sorry. <laughs> he breathes life into him. Now this is important because this means that Adam is created out of two elements. Adam is created out of the element of earth. And he's created out of the element of spirit. Now, I know you're sitting there probably wondering, well, why is that important? I'm about to tell you. It's important because we have to have both elements. We have to have the element of earth to relate to things that are of this earth. And we have to have the element of the spirit to relate to those that are spirit. You see, Adam was created to hold the hand of God. And when we read in... Genesis 2.15, if you can throw that one back up. Uh, his purpose of being in the garden was to tend to the garden. You see, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Uh, the Hebrew word for this idea of, to, of working the garden uh, is avad, which means to serve. Adam was created so that he could serve in the garden. He was created to minister to the garden. He was there to watch over it, to make sure everything was going well. Uh, and in the Levitical terms, when we're talking about this avad, it means to priest. Adam was there designed to have one hand in heaven, holding the hand of the Father, and have another hand on earth, taking care of everything going on on earth. And as long as Adam was holding on to God's hand, everything was going well. Unfortunately, that doesn't last long. Adam had a partner in crime, Eve, who came along and offered up the original sin. 
from that moment forward, basically the rest of the Old Testament, after in Adam and Eve, uh, through that first sin, the rest of the Old Testament is basically God trying to restore the relationship with humanity. The whole purpose of Israel, when you read through the Old Testament, uh, of Israel, all the prophets, all the kings, um, the, the tribe of Levi, we read a lot about them ushering in the presence of God. That was the whole purpose, was so that they could try to restore humanity's relationship with God. However, when all of that fails, God has to send his son. You see, Jesus was another person who was made of the two elements. Those two elements being spirit and earth. You see, Jesus was born an earth birth. He had a mother. Who was his mother? Mary. Okay, that was about 10% audience participation. We're going to work on that. His mother was Mary, 100% man, woman, right? Who was his father? God, that was about 20% audience participation. We're getting better. (laughs) Jesus had a mother who was fully earth and a father who was fully spirit. Jesus also was made of these two elements, um, earth and spirit. Therefore, Jesus was able to minister to both. Jesus was quite literally a bridge that linked the heavens and the earth. You see, in uh, Hebrews 8, 6, if you can flip over to that, I had this all written out on slides, and it was really good, but it's just not quite working. Um, Jesus' ministry is described uh, in Hebrews 8, 6, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on a better promise. I had to read that like five times. Let me break that down for you. Jesus' ministry on earth is better than the old ways of the Old Testament. What did they have to do? What did you have to do in the Old Testament to have your sins forgiven? You had to sacrifice like sharp bait. You had to present a sacrifice to the Lord. And Christy is going through, what is it, you season, lambing season. It is a lot of work to birth a lamb, something that is quite a tasty treat, to then only have to go and sacrifice that lamb and not get to eat it, right? No gyros if you are sacrificing the lamb to God. Basically what this is saying is the ministry that Jesus had is better than that old way of doing it. Jesus is better at doing it because he is 100% spirit and 100% man. He is able to relate to both. You see, beforehand, man was stuck trying to relate to the heavens by only elements made of the earth, the lamb. However, when Jesus came along, all of a sudden, we have somebody who can relate both to the things of the earth, but also the spirit. There's one more person that we read about in the Bible that is composed of these two elements, the element of earth and the element of spirit. Anyone want to take a guess who that is? That one person is you. If you uh, flip over to John chapter 3, 
you know, everyone remembers the, the story of, you know, the Pharisees used to give Jesus such a hard time about what he did. And this is Nicodemus asking Jesus basically how to get to heaven. And Jesus answered him saying, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Let's take a look at what Jesus is telling Nicodemus here. If you are not born of what? Water, which is earth, an element of earth, and spirit, which is an element of heaven, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You see, our first birth, our water birth, the birth of our mother, allows us to minister to the earth. You know, we have a a pretty good understanding right off the rip of how the earth works. You walk up, you touch something that's hot, you realize, oh, that's hot. Um, You know, all the other things that we just kind of naturally learn growing up, learning our first words. Nobody has to sit there and and teach you how to say mom. Nobody has to sit sit there and teach you how to say dad. You just kind of learn that as you go on. But our second birth is crucial because that is when we start understanding this element of spirit so that we are able to relate to God as well. You see, this is the entire theme of the Bible. You were born and born again to minister to God and also to everybody around of you. You have a hand in heaven and another hand on the earth. You are a walking, breathing meeting place between heaven and earth. Hold in one hand in heaven, hold in one hand in earth. That makes you a priest. First Peter 25 says, We are God's holy priest and a royal priesthood made to declare his praises. You see, when Peter is talking about we are God's holy priest, he's not talking about the guys with the funny collars. He's not talking about the guys wearing the togas walking around. He's not even talking about the, the men and women who go to ministry school and get their doctorate's degrees in biblical theological studies. He is talking about ordinary people just like you, just like me. Revelations 1.6 says, Jesus had made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Yes, we can hold on to our identity of being a son of or a daughter of God, but we also have to accept our new identity of us being a priest. And with that identity of being priest comes a job description. You know, being a a son or a daughter is your relationship to God. Being a priest is a job. So we are related to God, but we also have a job that we perform for God. And with every job in this world comes a job description. I have a job description at work. I yell at people and tell them where to load up freight. Um, Everybody has a job description. If you're a firefighter, your job is to put out fires. If you're a banker, your job is to watch over people's money. If you're a school teacher, your job is to teach people in the school. But see, if you're a priest, we often get our job description a little bit mixed up 
Uh, but luckily for us, if we turn to a surfer's favorite Bible book, Deuteronomy 10.8, we can find... Tough crowd. I got like two chuckles out of that. I, I counted on a chuckle out of you, Jay, but <laughs> I was expecting more, more than... Yeah, anyway. If we turn to Deuteronomy 10.8... Uh, we can look and we can see a full job description of what it means to be a priest of God. It says, At that time the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the ark of the Lord's covenant to stand before the Lord as his ministers and pronounce blessings in his name. These are their duties to this day. So this was the duties of the priest going all the way back into the Old Testament, and that is the duties of the priests going all the way today, which includes us, as we just learned. So, what are the three job descriptions that we just read there? First, is to carry the covenant... Oh, go back, Chad, I'm sorry. First, (laughs) is to carry the covenant of the Lord. Second, to stand before the Lord to minister. And third, to bless in his name. Does that make sense to everybody, how we, we get that? Ooh. Oh, there's a dog in here. Somebody bring that dog up here. I want to pet him. <laughs> um, so let's take a look at our first job responsibility. Our first job responsibility, it says to carry the Ark of the Covenant. Now, you see, uh, back in the Old Testament days, the Levites, they would, much like we do when we are meeting at the school, we have to carry around our church. They carried around what they call the tabernacle, and that is basically where they set up their temple. And a lot of people, they get hung up on this idea of the tabernacle. They hear the word tabernacle, and they think that there's something special about it because it sounds all Old Testamently and it sounds all biblical, the tabernacle. However, the tabernacle was just a tent. I'm sorry to to break this to some of the people who name their churches the the tabernacle of the people of the Lord's ministries. There's there's nothing special about the tabernacle. What was special about the tabernacle is what was housed inside of it. You see, the tabernacle, it was set up to all these specific cubits and all these specific dimensions, but right in the center of it would be the Ark of the Covenant, which was where the Spirit of the Lord would manifest. And it was the priest's duty to carry the Spirit of the Lord wherever they went. And just like the priests, back when they were setting up the tabernacle, our first responsibility is to carry the presence of God wherever we go. It's the priest's job to be a living throne that the king is carried on. Now, if we think about that for a second, that should be, that should be a really scary job description. Am I holy enough to carry the Lord, to carry his presence wherever I go? I'm going to be honest with you, there's a lot of times that I don't feel that I'm holy enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not righteous enough. But if we continue reading in 2 Corinthians, it doesn't matter how holy we are because God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. There's nothing. He qualifies the called. 
there's nothing that we can do as people to ever be holy enough to carry the presence of God. But it's through Jesus' sacrifice, through the payment that he made for us, that we're able to do that. 2 Corinthians 4.7 says, We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. Uh, Chad, keep that slide up there for a second. In some uh, translations of the Bible, it says that we are earthen vessels containing this great treasure. Now, why is it that God would put such a great treasure, probably the greatest treasure of all, his presence, in such a fragile container, an earthen vessel, a clay pot. You see, people of earth are able to relate to those things that are made of earth. People are able to relate to our shortcomings. It, it doesn't matter what material we're made out of. In God's eyes, it's still an earthen vessel. You know, it doesn't matter if that vessel is made out of gold, platinum, silver, or simple clay. It's still earth in God's eyes. You know, it, it drives me absolutely crazy. There's this group on Facebook called Preacher Sneakers. And it is literally a bunch of millennial pastors who every Sunday they take a, a picture of their sneakers. And, and I'm not talking about, you know, the Walmart, New Balance, you know, dad, lawnmowers, 2.0s. These are like Jordans and these boots that are $1,000 and, you know, $300 tennis shoes. And they act like because they're wearing an expensive pair of shoes that they're better, that they're more qualified to teach God's words. There's pastors out there who wear $3,000 Armani suits to preach God's words, and they act like somehow that makes them more qualified to preach the gospel, to do God's work. What the bottom line is, it doesn't matter what kind of material that we're made out of. We're still an earthen vessel. The material that we consider to be most valuable here on earth, you know, gold, is literally what God paves the streets of in heaven. So why is it that we think that, and this is absolutely nothing against people who dress up to come to church, as <laughs> there's one person wearing a suit. That's great. We should want to look presentable to the Lord. We should want to look our best when we're coming to Sunday. That is, in a sense, a form of worship to ourselves, but it doesn't qualify us. We're in... It exactly, it could be smoke and mirrors. But wearing, wearing a $3,000 suit doesn't qualify you to do God's work more than having eggs for breakfast does any given day. It doesn't matter what the vessel is made out of. It matters what is put inside the vessel. And as long as we're keeping hold of one hand on God and one hand down here on earth, we'll continue to be flowed up. I remember in high school, we had to take art class. And I'm terrible at art. Like, you ask me to make a drawing, and it's, it's bad. We're just going to leave it like that. We're lucky to get some stick people with clothing on. Um, but we had to make pots, terracotta clay pots. 
in art class. And, and the method that you use, I don't know if you guys ever remember doing this, but you had to, like, roll it into, like, these rings, and then you would, like, you know, make the rings and stack the rings and then, um, you know, shape it. And then you put it in the kiln to dry. And I could not, for the life of me, make a pot that would hold water. And, you know, I, I tried like three times and, and finally I just gave up and, you know, we would pour water in it and she looked at me like, well, you didn't make a pot, it doesn't hold water. And I said, ah, this would be true if I was trying to make a pot, but I'm making a watering can and it's doing its job just fine. You see, we are the exact same way when we're filled with God's presence. Even though we have our flaws, even though we may have our cracks and the clay that us that's fine, because as he continues to fill us up, we're going to be watering all of the people with God's presence. Our second job responsibility laid out there in Deuteronomy is to minister to God. We get the order of priorities mixed up quite a bit, because there is a specific order that, um, that we're told to do. Um, first being to carry the presence second being to minister to God, and then third being to bless the people. Why is it that our second priority should always be to minister to God? It's because people are fickle. They're always changing what they want. And what we minister to first is what we enthrone in our hearts. You see, if we were to minister to people first, then we're going to enthrone people in our hearts. And I don't care if you're trying to, you know, serve Mother Teresa. We don't want people to be in our hearts. We want the Lord to be closest to our hearts right here. We want to make sure that the king is enthroned in our hearts so that he can stay close and do what it is that he wants to do. You know, this is worship. That's the bottom line of this, making sure that God is the number one priority that he has always carried right here in our hearts is worship. As a matter of fact, the Greek word for worship is latreio. I even practiced trying to say that a bunch of times. If you speak Greek and I mispronounce that, I'm sorry. Um, But the Greek word for worship, latreio, is to minister or to serve. You see, when we are worshiping, it's not just songs that we're singing. It's not just, you know, reading. It's not just clapping along to, you know, some awesome bearded dude who's singing worship, just really on point that morning. It's about serving God. And we should be serving God no matter what we're doing. In our day jobs, we should be serving God. If you're a father... You should be serving God by being the best father you can be. If you're a mother, you should be serving God by being the best best mother you can be. If you're washing the dishes, we should be serving God by washing the dishes. My wife is giving me a really dirty look right now. I don't like to wash dishes. I prefer just to let them stack up. But when I do wash those dishes, I'm washing those dishes the best as I can because I'm serving God while doing that. I'm worshiping God by doing that. And this brings me to the third job responsibility of the priests. And that is to bless the people. And I think this is the job responsibility that we get wrong the most. 
this idea of blessing the people, blessing the people isn't making people happy. I think we get this idea that, you know, when we go home on Sunday morning that we should feel all happy. Everything is great. Everything is good. And there's, there's a little bit of truth to that because we're talking about literally your hope for eternal life. Yeah, that should make you feel pretty good. But the number one responsibility of somebody, you know, teaching, um, the number one responsibility of a pastor isn't to make you happy. Sometimes it's the exact opposite. You see, if we bend the truth of Scripture to fit the truth of the people around us, we are doing everybody a disfavor. One of the biggest pet peeves of mine in the culture today is when people say, speak your truth. Speak your truth. Because that implies... That implies that there's different versions of the truth. That implies that Anthony has a version of the truth. Jay has a version of the truth. Mark has a version of the truth. And if that's the case, then it's not the truth. There is only one version of the truth, and that is the truth that comes out of Scripture. That is the truth that comes from Jesus. That's the truth that comes from God. That is God's truth. And if we bend God's truth of Scripture to fit what's going on around us, We're not serving God. We're serving an idol. The bottom line is God's truth is absolute truth. It will not bend. It will not break. If we suit the message of God to the whims of humanity, we are making us king, not him. If we take God's words and we bend it and we twist it and we try to make it mold so that the sins of our lives are no longer sins, we're not worshiping God anymore. We're worshiping ourselves. And it goes the other way, too. You know, if we're trying to minister to people and we're coming at them with God's word like a sledgehammer, that's not blessing the people. That's hurting the people. That's tearing the people down. When we're blessing somebody, we need to make sure that we're looking at them through the lens of Christ, that we are seeing them as the finished product not the product that we're start, they're starting at. By the way, that same lens is the same lens that God looks at us through. Just like how we were talking about it doesn't matter what your vessel was made out of, it's still an earthen vessel. The only reason that we're able to carry God's presence inside of us is because we have the lens of Christ in front of us. And when we're dealing with other people, we need to make sure that we're looking at people the same way that the Father looks at us. Um, is that you said that video isn't working? Um, will you pull up on Spotify um, uh, the blessing by Carrie Job? Just play in the background. I want to kind of bring this all to a close. Um, but by saying one, one little simple kind of what-if situation here. What if just 20% of the church would start accepting their call to be a priest? 
And I'm not talking about just the pastors of the church. I'm not talking about just the elders and the deacons. I'm talking about all of us. Because we're all called to be priests. And you know, it's even, it's even easier nowadays to be a priest of God, to minister to the people with technology. You know, if we want to carry God in our hearts wherever we are, and then we want to minister to God, it's so easy just to, to pop on the internet and play a worship song and just minister to him as you're working. It's so easy to hit share on this live stream that you're watching right now. And all of a sudden, you've just shared Christ with all of your friends, with thousands of people. If just 20% of the church could grasp a hold of their calling as a priest, it would quite literally change the world. Um... And that's really deep, because 20% isn't that much. How many people do you think? There's maybe 30 people here. What's 20% of 30, Christy? Like, huh? Like six? If just six of us here today fully grasp our calling as priests, this community would be changed forever. If we could get 12 people, whew, if we could get half, three quarters of our church's congregation to understand that it's not just on the pastor, that it's not on the worship leader, it's not on the Sunday school teacher, it's not on the tech team in the back to be priest of God. This little church here in Edinburgh, Ohio, would change the world. So I want to, just for a second here, challenge you and take a real good, deep, inward look and see, am I fulfilling the job responsibilities of a priest? And and nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. Not trying to get up here and pretend that I am. But I'll tell you, there's nothing more rewarding than doing God's work. There's nothing more rewarding than developing such an intimate relationship with our Father that we can just crash into his living room, have a conversation with him, be held, be comforted. And how selfish would it be of me to not share that with everyone around us? That's what I want to do real quick. With, uh, if you would all just bow your head, close your eyes for a minute. If you don't have that relationship with God, if something that I mentioned here today, this idea of being a child of God, is just resonating so hard in your soul right now, and you want that relationship... I'd like you to slip your hand up. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. But also, if you do have that relationship with God, 
but you just want to take it a step deeper. You want to realize your job description. You want to realize your calling as a priest of God and just take it that much more seriously. I'd like you to lift up your hands too, and we're going to pray. And uh, if you would just repeat this after me. Heavenly Father God, Lord, I come to you. I admit that I'm a sinner. God, I confess to you that Jesus is my Lord. And I believe that he has come here to die for my sins and pay my price. If you prayed that prayer today, truly believe it, you are now a child of God. And that comes responsibility, because not only are you a child of God, but you're now a priest of God, too. So as we dismiss here, I do, I want to open the altar. Uh, I have a mask somewhere um, I'll throw on. If you need prayer, we have people here ah, who... um, would love to pray with you no matter what the situation is. If it's just you want a deeper relationship, if you, know, you have a, a physical need, a spiritual need, we would love to have the opportunity to pray for you, and we're going to continue. Um, but I want to dismiss with the high priestly blessing that's found uh, in Numbers. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Just pray, God, that we would just be drawn closer and closer and deeper into a relationship with you, Lord God. God, I pray that you would just help us just find different ways just to express our love, our connection to you, God. God, I pray that the Lord makes his face shine upon you, God. I pray that you would just just reveal our eyes to you, Lord that we can see you, so that we can know you, so that we can know your will and follow it, God. And the Lord lift us up in his countenance and give us peace, God. Lord, I just pray that peace just flows through this place. Just the peace and the understanding and just in the knowledge that Jesus is our Savior, Jesus is our hope. God, we pray all these things in your son Jesus' most precious name. Yeah. That's all I have for today. You are a priest. Whether you like it or not, ready, set, go, you are a priest. It's my prayer that as we dismiss, that we would just begin just to take a look at that job description and just own it 100%. You know, you can't, you can't do something halfway and expect good things to come out of it. Um, altar is open. If you do have a prayer request, uh, leave a comment, message us online. We would love to pray with you. We would love to pray with you here in person. Uh, but please be blessed. Have a great week, and uh, we'll see you here next week. Thank you all very much.